Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. Do you love a story of someone who just continuously perseveres through all odds? I can tell you I know that I do. And I love it even more when it's a strong woman because I know the plight that's normally on their shoulders. And in today's episode, that's exactly who we have on the show. We have the great Miss Tanya Rapley. And Tanya is not only a successful multiple business owner, but she's also a mother And she continues to defy the odds in many of lanes coming from domestic abuse, coming from losing everything on the first business to now being able to conquer anything that she wants. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with another episode. And this one right here I'm excited for because we are going to dive into how do you become the best version of you and how do you become unapologetically you? So I have someone on the show today that I think is going to give us all of the wisdom and the insight so we can take that imperfect action as we all need to. So without further ado, please Please help me in welcoming my sister, Miss Tanya Rapley. Tanya, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Hi, guys. No, hey, Dream Nation. What's up? <laughs> what's up? What's up? So excited to have you on here. And the way that I always like to do this is I always like to make sure that I give the proper introduction to each and every guest. And the way that I do that is that I compare us as entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly putting on a cape, we're flying around the world, and we're trying to solve the biggest problems. And so behind every Superman or Superwoman, we know that there's a Clark Kent. And so my question to you is behind the Superwoman of Tanya Rapley, who is that Clark Kent? Oh, this Clark, this Clark Kent doesn't necessarily have a name though, right? No, it doesn't have to have a name. Who is that person? Oh, just someone who is really committed to being good. Someone who is committed to being good, embodying principles that our ancestors would be proud of and making operating with integrity. Integrity is, is critical and important. And then being, uh, being true to the Gemini that she was born to be. I love it. Now, for you, it looks like for anybody that's going to check out the business and the brand that you've built, it looks like you have it all made. Was there ever a time that you struggled early on? And are you living right now the goals, the dream of where you thought you would be, let's even just say five years ago? Oh, that's so good. I think struggle is relative it, it, and it is also how in which you define it. Definitely have been through some adversity. People who know my story know that my cut finance essentially was founded out of the result of an abusive relationship that was financially and physically 
uh, abusive and definitely had to overcome that. And it has played, it played a big part in why I started my fat finance. But then as I started it, I realized that healing was important and my fat finance has allowed me to heal as well as continue to go through therapy because yeah, I'm also very transparent on my Instagram. Like I deal with things. I've gone through things. I realized I had control issues last year and control, uh, control because it made me feel safe and just like really wanted to mitigate like any, any issues or anything like that. So yeah, even as an entrepreneur, so am I where I thought I would be five years from now? Yes. And no. Yes. Because I knew that I had what it took to build a successful business. Yes, because I knew I wanted to be the mother that I wanted. I knew I wanted to be a present parent. I knew that I wanted my family to dictate my schedule instead of the other way around. Because I grew up in a military household and my parents were always having to choose their job over us. And I didn't want my children to feel like that. I, I didn't want to feel like that, that I had to make a choice. But no, I don't think I ever like... I knew I wanted to feel the way I feel, but I didn't know what that felt like until I felt it, if that makes sense. Like I knew I wanted to have like freedom and clarity and just feel like I was just calling my own shots, but I hadn't seen it before. I didn't know what it felt like. I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know what it felt like. And that can be hard because then how do you know when you have got what you wanted? How do you, how do you know, like, how are, how do you know when you are satisfied? And that's been some of the work that I've been navigating through therapy and so forth. Because as a go-getter, Casanova, you're never completely satisfied. You're like, oh, okay, then next, then what's next, then what's next? And so the sitting and celebrating yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it has been important for me to honor where I am, honor where I came from, but then also honor what else I want out of life and where else I want to be and what else I want to do. And yeah, so it's yes and no. Yeah, no. And I appreciate the transparency. The first thing that I want to tackle is you said you grew up in a military household. So obviously mm-hmm. there was a lot of structure there and, and they wanted it to be done a certain way. Do you feel like that that allowed you to win? Because now you're an entrepreneur, which essentially there doesn't have to be a lot of structure that way. Do you feel like that that growing up in a military household made you say, hey, when I get older and I get my own things, I'm not going to operate this way? Or do you feel like that really gave you the foundation of, hey, I should be operating this way because I've made it this far by having to operate this way? I think it, I think that's a yes and no. That's one of the things we learn in therapy. It can be and or. It doesn't have to be either or. It could be and or. And so I do think my military background did shape me saying, you know what? I don't want nobody to be this. I It made me rebuke like structure. Even mm-hmm. when I had a nine to five job, like they already knew Tanya's probably going to get here late. She's she going to do her work when she gets here, but she might be like an hour late. My boss would be like, are you coming in today? Like, yeah, I just... Had to move my car, like just and and so I knew I didn't like structure or someone else's structure, but I'm a disciplined entrepreneur with regards to I do what needs to get done. But sometimes I'm not always the most disciplined with my time. But I am self aware, and I think that that's important as an entrepreneur. And mother, I think discipline is important, but self awareness and like being able to pull your own card and call yourself out and be like you're not operating at your full potential. And I think that. That came from my military background, too, because my parents always held me accountable. Like my parents, my dad was the type of parent. I'd be like in high school, I had a job. I ran track and field. I was in honor classes and everything and still in the honor roll. And I'd be like, I got peers who so-and-so, they don't do none of this and they still failing out. And my dad was like, you ain't them. Like, Mm. 
I don't expect nothing out of them, but I expect something out of you. And I was raised with expectations. And so I have expectations for myself. And like anybody who's in my life, I have those same expectations. And I think that that has served me well as an entrepreneur. That decision of my parents like to teach me time management skills at an early age. Because for me, it was, okay, how do I juggle going to track and field practice? How do I juggle going to work this week and knowing I have a track meet the next day? How do I juggle getting the schoolwork done? How do I juggle getting homework done after track and field practice? And knowing that I still need to stay on the honor roll so I can get this scholarship. And being able to juggle made me more comfortable. So when I built Minecraft Finance, I was still in graduate school. And it became like a condition rather than an excuse. And so I think that that came from the military upbringing and so forth. But yeah, definitely a disdain for, for structure. Right. Cause you had no, and that was where the control came in. I would imagine later on, because you were like, listen, I don't mind structure, but I got to have more control over it rather than being in someone else's structure, because I know what that's, and I have no say in this, and this is supposed to be my life. And then it comes with, Hey, just trust me because look at all the things that I accomplished throughout my life, throughout high school. And I'm still doing it throughout grad school. And it feels like somebody's still trying to control me, even though I've proven myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's kind of, yo, give me a little bit of leeway. I'm going to be okay. And so I think that that's huge. And I love the fact that what you said is early on, the expectations were set. And I think that that's important, no matter how much you're present or not present with your child, is to set the right expectation because then they understand that there's always a standard that I have to have for myself. Even when I'm out of your house. There's a standard. There's a standard in which I operate. Yes. Yes. I'm, I've never heard it like communicated in that way, but it is. It is. Even when you don't, when I don't see you, there's a standard that I'm operating in because it's a standard in which I was raised by. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, and, and I try to do the same thing for, for my child, both of my kids, but definitely my son is to understand because he's old enough now. My daughter's almost three, but my son, he's nine. He just turned nine. And so he's at that place where he comprehends so much. And and we know that he's about to come into the critical years to where he starts to really think that he's grown. And we're just a couple of years away from him trying to go get his permit and all these other things to where then they could be like, I got four more years and I'm out. And you got to have that standard because, yes, even when you're out of here, you might decide you want to go abroad or whatever else. But how do you still have expectations for yourself? And I think that then probably and I could be wrong, but I would imagine that's where the moment that you sat down and understood that your situation that you were in the first time with your your significant other, that you weren't being treated the right way, whether it was financially, verbally, physically, all these things. But then you're like, wait, Tanya, I still got a standard for myself. Like, I got to get up out of here. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And that relationship, it really was like, it boiled down to a lot of things, but it also boiled down to me thinking like, my parents work too hard for me to throw my life away for this person. My parents, my ancestors, everybody worked too hard for like me to let this person derail my my potential in my life and me to go down this hole with them. And even worse than for them to end my life. Like my life is too valuable. It's too valuable to my family. It's too valuable to those I love, to the people I'm going to impact for me to remain in this relationship. And uh, that was the first time I chose myself. And like really chose like my happiness and chose my joy and realized how important it is to do that. That's so powerful. Now, 
the the next thing I want to tackle is the next phase. You decide that you're going to go on this entrepreneurship journey. You really decide you're going to go all in on this and you're going to build a super successful business. What was that like in its first year to, did it take you a long time to start to figure out how to really run a business? Or do you feel like you just had it from the beginning? I definitely ain't have it. <laughs> I definitely didn't have it. And there's still so much that I'm learning. Even to this, yesterday was my five-year entrepreneurship anniversary and still realizing and buying Club Lufa, which is an e-commerce business, there's still so much that you have to learn. Like now I need, I'm learning about conversions and so forth. And yeah, there's still so much to learn. But no, when I started my Fat Finance, I would say it took me about three years to feel like, okay, you have a business here. This isn't by accident. It's you know, you're being intentional about what is happening and your plan is working. It was about three years. And but even then there's still ebbs, there's still ups and downs. There's like one day you work up like killing this. And then like you'd be like, I don't know if I need to go get another job. I might need to start looking like pull my resume out and maybe I'm not what I thought I was. So there's been times that that probably has happened. I think this year has been, this year has really been a solid year, even with the, with the pandemic and everything, it's just been a solid year. Never was, but the first three years, there were, there were a couple of those. And at one point I definitely was putting in applications um, at jobs and God was like, no, no, mm mm. It's no, that's not it. You're gonna, you're, gonna, yourself. you're gonna suffer through this. Yeah. Another thing I would ask myself in those moments where I felt like my business wasn't going the way I thought it should was have you done everything possible to make it go the way you think it should be going? Have you exhausted every single option to make sure that your business is operating how you want it to? And the answer was always no. So the answer is no. It's like, okay, then go do those things that you should be doing that you're not doing. And when I would go do those things, things would turn around. What do you think was, looking back on it, a brand new entrepreneur, especially a female entrepreneur, that right now she's, man, I feel like I got everything stacked against me, but I know that I have a great product. I know that I can serve my audience and everyone the right way. How in my first year can I overcome, like what would be the tips that you would give in the first year? Is it just know exactly who um, your client is? Is it find a, a need in the marketplace? Is it go get you some funding? What does that look like? Honestly, like identifying who your client is and finding a need in the market, that should be done before your first year. Like that should be done before you decide like, I'm going to do this like full throttle. That's your market research and you, you got to do that initially. I can't say that I did that with my fat finance necessarily because it started out as a blog. It didn't start out as a business. It started out as a blog, but that blog was my market research because people started resonating with it. People started sharing it. It started, communities started forming around it. And I was unintentional about that. I was like, oh, this is something that like women who look like me need, like they need this resource. And so you should be doing that ahead of time. And then I think that your first couple of years in business require you to humble yourself and just do. One person told me the first couple of years is throwing spaghetti in the wall and see what sticks. Right. Throwing, just figuring out what works for your business, trying a few things, trying, trying out like different options and so forth, trying out different revenue streams, just trying a few things and seeing what works because you might have your heart set on one way of doing things. And that might not be the way that you're going to continue to do it. When I started, I thought I was going to do one-on-one coaching as a business model. Got in it, was doing one-on-one coaching. After the first year, I was like, nope, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do one-on-one coaching um, because it wasn't scalable. That I couldn't scale myself. And then I thought about trying to train other coaches and stuff like that. But I was like, 
going to that back to that control thing, I was like, I don't know if they're going to like coach the way I would coach. They're going to be effective coaches. And now I'm responsible for the work that they do. Not, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to take on that risk. And you're, that first couple of years, just it's trial and error. It is trial and error. Even now, I'm sure there's people who launched clothing businesses this year. And now they turn around and they sell a mask because a new need has a, a new demand has established itself. And so you just got to be willing to go with the ebbs and flows in the first couple of years in business and figure out what makes sense for you, what's sustainable, what's scalable, and what you enjoy doing. No, that's that's so huge. And, and being able to shift and pivot with the opportunities, because mm-hmm. if you're and, and that's about just like you said, what the need in the marketplace is, because you're like, no, I want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. Well, that might not be what people want to pay you for or the need that they have, the pain point that they have. And so you can find yourself out of business real quick because you're not pivoting. Yes, okay. exactly. Exactly. How much was in your first couple of years, how much was mentorship a factor for you? Did you find anyone? Because in the blogging space, it's it's tough because everybody, it doesn't feel like that there's a lot of people developing communities as far as mentorship in the blogging space. They're developing them for their tribes, but maybe I could be wrong. Talk to me about that. Yeah, mentors came from a variety of places. And there was a point in my journey where I felt like I didn't have the support that I needed to grow. And so what I did was I said the affirmation, I wrote it down on my, I wrote it down on my my mirror and look at it every day. And it was, I don't remember it verbatim now, but it was something to the liking of I have um, the support I need to grow my businesses. And I have a mentor who is invested in seeing me grow. And said that every day, every day, every day. And then I went to a financial bloggers conference and they match you with mentors. And Mm -hmm. I was matched with one of the most successful people at the conference. I remember everybody was like, how'd you get him? And so I was matched with him and Chris mentored me probably for about the first two years, but he wasn't the only one. I joined a hands with women called the frugal fat. We called ourselves the frugal fat five. So it was myself, Marsha Barnes of the finance bar, Tiffany Aliche, the budgetista, Kara Walker, frugal feminista. And then at that point, that time, my fat finance, I had a business partner and we were like friend tours for each other. We were sharing what was working, giving each other advice and everything, helping each other, giving each other feedback. This is what you should charge. It's what you shouldn't charge. So then I had a mentor group of friends, which called friend tours. And they were, that was really helpful. Yeah. And each stage, each stage, there were are different mentors that pop up. Now at Club Lufa, I, I, I bought the company and then set the intention that I was going to find mentors that I needed in the space. And I was able to find a few good mentors who are helping me along the way and figuring things out as I build that out. So I think for anybody who's looking for mentors, they are beneficial, but you also have to understand what you want out of that relationship. Because most likely you want them as a mentor because it's something they've accomplished or because they're successful. Mm-hmm. Successful people don't always have time to mentor on a regular basis. So that mentorship might not look like, oh, like the big brother, big sister type of mentor. We spend a day together. We spend an hour together. We have a standing lunch meeting every every month. It might not look like that. It might look like, hey, you got a minute to talk about this. I want to run something by you. Or it might look like an email. Let me send you something. Let me send you what I'm thinking about buying. What are your thoughts? It might be that. But so I don't want people to block off the possibilities to be mentored by others, by what they think a mentorship would look like. Because I've had so many, I've had text-based mentorships at this point. So it, it can vary. 
Yeah, I think that you dropped so much wisdom and nuggets in that whole statement. First thing was you put it on your mirror, you saw it every single day, and essentially you allowed your energy to bring to you what you needed because you didn't already have it, but it didn't allow you to stop taking action. You still kept taking action, and then you took action and went to the conference, right? Without the mentorship, probably with knowing very few people, right? That's one of the most powerful things about these networking conferences. When you go by yourself and then you find yourself getting breakfast or lunch and things like that. And then you're like, before you know it, you leave out of there. You got so much energy, so much wisdom, but so many more connections than if you didn't go because you're like, I didn't, I don't know anybody there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's powerful. And then the other part is just like you said, like everybody's mentorship is different. So if you can take, I learned something and, and who was that? Shout out to Tiffany Aliche too. So she came on the show. It's like my sister and she came on the show, absolutely crushed it as well. So shout out to the budget Nista as she calls it. And, but someone came onto the show and I might even been her. No, it was actually Allison Bird. Do you know Allison Mm -hmm. Bird? Mm Mm-hmm. So it was Allison Burden and she gave some super nuggets, but she had said everything that I do, it's in 15 minute increments, because just like you said, successful people don't always have 30, 45 minutes to talk to you because their time is super valuable and they're trying to run even bigger plays. They don't want to be held back or slowed down. So if you could just give them something that is digestible, sometimes it is just that text message. Sometimes it is just that email. And more importantly, for me, if like when people reach out to me, if you show me that you've already taken some type of action, just like you said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about buying. That means that you've already done your market research, you already know, and you have some plans of why you're going to buy this. And you're like, just give me your opinion. That goes so much further than, than just, hey, what business can I buy? Right, Casanova. Exactly. Like being specific because- Every and I have people slide in my DMs all the time asking questions about being in the finance industry, getting in finance. Hey, I'm thinking about starting a finance blog and would love some tips. I'm gonna need you to do more work than that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm gonna need you like to research like what area of expertise do you want to operate in a personal finance? Example, a woman hit me up yesterday. She asked me about someone about someone in personal finance. She's in personal finance. She asked me about someone who I work with as a coach. She was like, should I work with them? And it's like, okay, so I've, I've followed her around. I've seen she's doing the work. She like her Instagram feed and everything. She's serious about what she does. So for me, it's like she's doing the work. I'm going to help her do her work, but I'm not going to do the work for someone else. If right. you haven't done the work, I got enough work to do. I can't do it for you. So yes, that like coming, like, here's my business idea other than what type of business should I start? No, 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 no it doesn't. Mentorship does not work like that. It does not. It doesn't. <laughs> not, right. not, not in 2020. No. And even coaching, I would say then if that's the case, you really want to go get either a consultant or a coach. But even those, again, our time is so valuable. And I think it's it's becoming more and more valuable because as we see, like Chadwick Boseman, right? Like people that are dying so young. And so the perception that it at least always gives me and what resonates with me is that tomorrow is really not promised. It doesn't matter if you're 40, if you're 35, whatever, you just never know. And so what you got to do is you got to live each day to your fullest. Well, for me to live out my, that means I'm going after my bucket list all least. So if I got this text and now I got it, it requires me to use some brain power to try to figure out your situation. It's come on, I want to help, but I can't help those who don't want to help themselves. And so I hope someone listening to this, you don't take it as, hey, this person, they don't want to help me. It's just like, hey, let me show them that I'm already going to bat for myself. I'm looking for a hand up, not a hand out. Exactly. Exactly. Right.
Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. So you've been starting multiple businesses now. Talk to me about because for a lot of people right now, they're going through this pandemic, but maybe they got a little bit of money. Maybe they've made some money in the stock market or something like that. I feel like my whole timeline has now become, and it's crazy because I'm in real estate, not the financial world, even though they can intermingle. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, but it's everybody talking about stock options and Apple and Tesla. But my, Oh yeah, my, especially because Apple's Apple split this week. Yeah. Yes, everybody's on it. And so I'm just like, I guess my question to you is for someone who, is looking to say, hey, I want to start a business, but I don't know if first I should start investing or or if I should start cutting debt first. What's your take on that if they got student loan debt, medical debt, and they just don't know how they can get ahead? So those things shouldn't stop you from starting a business, in my opinion. Those things, they shouldn't stop you from starting a business because starting the right business could actually help you with those things. It could actually help you bring in more income so that you can achieve your financial goals. Sometimes that's all people need is an additional way to bring in some revenue so they can attack their financial goals because your job is not necessarily always going to be that route for you. So I think that some people should consider doing it despite having debt or despite not having savings. But in the same sense, I'm very big on savings are important. Like debt, I know it's so sexy and it's so satisfying to eliminate debt, but I always say prioritize savings over debt elimination because you can't pay bills with your debt that's been eliminated. You can pay bills with the money you have in your savings account, but not the debt you've eliminated. And then when it comes to investing, I always just say, just don't invest money that you need. Like your investment money should be your play money. It shouldn't be because- you're not going to be a good investor if you're investing what you need. Like investing, especially if you're looking at stocks and so forth, that's a long-term game. Unless you're you're a day trader and so forth, but most people aren't. That's a long-term game. You need to be able to stay in it and ride the waves. You need to be able to stay in it and could be confident staying in it when it's up, when it's down, and just like let it flow instead of having to watch it because you invested everything that you had into that. There are different risks you can take that don't necessarily involve the stock market that you have more control over, such as starting a business. You have more control over that risk than you do what happens to the market. So if you're like looking and you're like, I just have to make this money grow some way somehow, then do it in a way that you can control the outcome more likely than with the stock market or something of that nature. Got it. Now for starting a business, like how do you choose the businesses, like the two businesses right now that you have running? How did you choose those? Was there a couple factors? Is there some non-negotiables that you look for before anybody can get you to really say, I might purchase this business? Gasnova, like my fat finance shows me. Like I ain't choose my fat, it shows me. So I can't really say that for that business. And I have been involved in previous businesses. There was a startup that I was co-founding named Foam with my partners, actually um, one of the partners out of Chicago. We decided to dissolve that. Felt like my expertise lent to a strong positioning with that business, but also realized like we didn't have the capacity needed and there, there wasn't really a market fit for it. And when you realize there's not a market fit, you just keep going about your business. Like that's the beauty of like testing the market out before you go like all in. It, there wasn't a market fit for it and 
having those conversations. And then yeah. the next one, I co-founded Caniclusive, which is a diversity and inclusion platform in the cannabis industry. I decided to step back from that because it was starting to mess with my other money because cannabis is still a schedule one drug. And I work with a lot of clients in the finance space and so forth. Some of them were uncomfortable with me dealing with the cannabis space. And so I decided to step back, but it still has strong leadership in Mary Pryor, who is one of my co-founders and they're doing a great job with that. But then I tried it again this past year with Club Lufa. Club Lufa is a company that I acquired. So rather than building something from the ground up, like I was attempting to do with these other businesses, I bought a business that was already in operation. And Club Lufa is a subscription business. And so it's a premium bath sponge and tool subscription business. We're expanding the product lines to basically include complete body care, taking care of everybody's body. And it, it was attractive because it was already in operation. It already had revenues coming in. I saw the need. I saw that they needed some more press mentions. They needed some more pushes on social media. And it needed to divert, they needed to diversify and so forth. And it was a good, I felt like I could bring something to that business, but also build out my business portfolio. So I ended up purchasing that business actually on the Shopify exchange. Most people don't realize that you can buy businesses through the Shopify exchange. It's a website. So what happens is say like me being the owner of Club Lufa, I decide, you know what, this is not aligned with my life anymore. I got other things I want to do. This is just this this was just a pilot project that I did, cool, ready to walk away from it. You can put that business up for sale so that other people can purchase it. There are literally hundreds of businesses for sale on the Shopify exchange, some drop shipping businesses, some like businesses like Club Lufa where you do order fulfillment yourself. And I bought it from there. And I, that was another thing that I had been putting it out there that I wanted to buy a business. I was doing my research. I wanted to buy a business. And one night my little sister was like, have a look at this. I think you should look into this. And she said, I think you could do something with this. And I was like, I think I could too. And three weeks later, I've been doing my due diligence and making calls to my mentors and asking, and I ended up buying it. Wow. No, that's, that's a nugget in itself. So I'll be honest, I never knew that you could purchase businesses on Shopify exchange. To be honest with you, I've never even heard it. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, oh, she just gave away the gold right there. Because <laughs> that's, that's a big deal when you're first thinking about starting a business, but you're like, man, I got to generate the revenue. I got to do all these things. There's no systems in place. I got to also create a team. I got to create the logo, the branding behind it. I got to get email campaigns behind it. So all these other things that, that come with it, which is overwhelming, especially in your first year, and especially if you don't know how to run a business and an online business at that, yeah, that's a definitely. lot. And definitely. so that's, that's huge. Now, for you, was, was there something about this business that made you, because now you start looking at the Shopify exchange, and I'm sure you probably see a couple different options. Mm -hmm. What was it about this business that said, you know what, this is the one I got to go with? I saw the missed opportunities with it. And I, it was subscription. I love that when I bought it, the, the week I bought Club Lufa, it made money because mm -hmm. it's subscription. We, we did not do anything. We just focused on rebranding and fulfilling orders for the first three months. And it still made money. That's why I bought it because it was still a moneymaker. And at this point, I was looking at our, our profits. We're 30% we, up of what we paid for the business this year. And we had shut down for two months out of this year when the pandemic first happened. And we're still up 30% from what we purchased the business for. And yeah, that was why it was attractive. It, it already had customers and they were being, it was a subscription-based business. So it came with money. That's what's up. Now for you, was it a passion project you feel like, or did you really go after, did you look at the numbers and you really just saw the profit? I didn't go out to the numbers like I probably would have now, 
like with the next business that I buy and would probably ask a few more questions. But it wasn't a passion. It was definitely like it was a power play. It was an understanding like I've been operating in this finance space for so long. And one thing I do know is people going to buy stuff. And so I knew I wanted an e-commerce brand because regardless, people are going to buy stuff. And I, and people like getting behind tangible businesses. They like posting and sharing things. I supported this Black-owned business. So and this is where, this is what I got in my hand. Like they like doing that. And so why not put something like that in my portfolio too? Yeah, no, I think that that's solid. And, and I'm sure you have a lot of wheels spinning right now. Now, talk to me about once you once you purchased this, did it come with any staff or did you have to then like the staff that you already had that was helping you with my fab finance? You said, hey, we're going to have a little bit of crossover or what did that look like? Initially, so the staff members that they did have. So they had a, a leadership team of three people they decided that they didn't want to stay on. Like they were going to, they were all interested in doing other projects and so forth. As far as the team that they had, they were, so the company was based in Riverside and I lived in LA. Riverside is about an hour and a half from LA, depending on traffic. And so they decide, I, she wasn't going to come along with the person they had doing like order fulfillment. And like, they had one person on the team who was doing that. And that's all she did. And we decided not to bring her along. We actually decided to do order fulfillment ourselves for the first couple of months. And we, we're still doing it now that we moved because we wanted to understand where the areas of opportunity were for growth in the business and really get to know the business. And also the business metric wise, we're not at a point where I feel like it makes sense profit, profit wise for us to outsource our fulfillment. And so the existing MyFab Finance team, when I first bought it, I did have an idea like, hey, so I bought this company. I'm just going to need some guys to do some, my system. I'm like, I just need you to do some things. So I moved one of my social media people over from the, from another company, from my nonprofit. I moved her over to focusing on Club Lufa and growing Club Lufa, the Instagram. And, but then over time, it, we, but we're realizing that we need to bring in people who specialize in e-commerce just because you're good at what you do. Doesn't mean you're good at e-commerce, which right. is a completely different thing. So now we're in the process of doing that. And we work with a lot of consultants right now. Like we're not, even though we have consistent revenue, I'm not at a place where I'm ready to have like consistent staff in that business just yet, but I will bring in a consultant in a heartbeat and like pay someone to consult. The only person we have two people who are um, consistently on payroll, and that is our graphic designer and our social media manager. Got it. Now, so is the business still based out of California or now? Because you've relocated to Atlanta. Yeah, right? so it's based in Atlanta. Everything came with us. Everything came with us. So powerful. And yeah, I think for a lot of people right now hearing that, they can at least say, okay, let me make sure that I keep my expenses down until I feel like I'm at that point that, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that will reach out to you to say, Hey, I'm in that same situation. I'm thinking about relocating. Is there any tips? And and so hopefully they've already done their homework. And when they reach out to you, <laughs> something that's a little bit more concrete. This yeah, and I, been, I just wanted, I wanted yeah. to add um, to that and so forth. Just really thinking about it and on social media right now, it's it's so sexy for people to be like in their warehouse and their fulfillment center. And it's beautiful to see that scale, but don't push it if you aren't there. Don't push it if you aren't there because for some people they'll rise to the occasion, but for some people that'll make them crumble because they're so stressed. They can't even think straight and they can't think about what's their best decision because they're stressed taking on all these things that they thought signified success, but really didn't. And so like, just don't do it for the gram. Don't, don't. 
Don't do it for the game. What has been the most challenging part for you starting jumping into the world of the e-commerce space? Has it, yeah, yeah, what has been the most challenging for you? What, the most challenging thing honestly has been personal. It has been, I did not completely pay respect to the time I had to create my fat finance versus the time I have now. When I created my fat finance, I wasn't married and I didn't have a child. Now I'm married and I have a child. I have two people who depend on me and my son is two months, two years old. My son don't care if I was up till 3 a.m. working. He's waking up at six o'clock and he's ready to get it popping. And I need to be ready to go for the rest of the day. And that was not how the conditions in which I created my fat finance under. So really understanding how to optimize my time and delegate and so forth so that I can do what I'm best at and let people do what they're best at rather than try to figure it out. Because in my fat finance, when I first started it, I did my first logo. I set up my first WordPress site and everything. It was ugly, but I did it and it got mm-hmm. set up. With Club Lufa, there is no time for the learning curve. It's, if they know how, if someone knows how to do it, pay them to do it so you can move on to do something how to do or something that you're interested in learning how to do. So I would say that time, finding the time has been probably one of the biggest challenges um, with growing this company. Yeah. And, and just, I love the way you put it, pay respect to it because it will humble you really quickly <laughs> if you don't, and you'll be, you'll find yourself stressed out, burned out. But in this world today, I think that it's still important that you give yourself the opportunity to own those businesses, especially in the e-commerce space. Cause I think I just read somewhere. I know I just read it, it was within the last week that they said that by 2023, I want to say 21% of all malls will be shut down. And and obviously we know that like Amazon's looking at a lot of these big spaces to turn their way, but it just show it goes to show you where e-commerce is going. Yeah, right? everybody's trying to figure it out, and even the businesses like J.C. Penney and those that had to file for bankruptcy, but now they're trying to come back the same way, but stronger on the e-commerce front mm-hmm. because they already still have the brand. So if somebody else goes and buys their company out, they're trying to figure out how they can solve those gaps. Same thing of what you where was those missed opportunities and how I can get into that. So for a lot of people, when they first like really evaluate, what is the time that I have? What are the strengths that I have? And maybe it might not be that you're going to do it all yourself. Maybe that means that you might need to get a partner who's in grad school that can do the logo, that can do the WordPress. And then you say, look, I found the business, right? I got a little bit of credit. I got this, you know, here's what I want you to do and just be upfront with that. And I think that that could help a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Like, I have a question. When's the last time you went to a mall, Casanova? I guess we're in unprecedented times, too. But when's the last time you, like, went to a mall? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, actually, it hasn't. Like, the only time I think I ever go to a mall now is for my son. He plays basketball a lot. So his feet's been growing over this last year, year and a half. So then I go there because I want him to try on the shoes as opposed to buying them and sending them back. But other for myself, I haven't. And, yeah. and it's just, yeah, you evolve and, and you understand, but you have to be able to adapt. I think mm-hmm. for many of people, they can't adapt and that's where they get ran over. Yeah. And so seeing it right now, it's huge. But yeah. No. Yeah. We look at Blockbuster. I think about that, like Blockbuster. I I was thinking about being a kid and that was what you did. Like mm-hmm. Friday night, you went to Blockbuster, you picked your movie out and everything. And I was like, damn, that is just obsolete. And they were at the forefront of videos. They had all the contracts and everything. They could have digitized their archive and everything, but nope. Mm-mm. 
And then when they started to get video games, that was like the best of both worlds. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah I could rent the Madden. And now you look at it for Xboxes and think you don't even need to go to GameStop, to Walmart, anywhere anymore. It started to become Best Buy, Walmart, all these other places. Now you can buy your game just from your Xbox or your PS4 yeah. or whatever it is. And yeah, you have to figure out a way. Even Netflix, they saw it in the beginning. They were trying to give out those CDs. Yeah, Netflix it was knew what it was. They, we can't stay here. People ain't going to keep mm -hmm. trying to order and wait a week so they could get it in and I got to send it back and they say they didn't get it and now they're going to charge me a fee. No, we got, we got and, and subscription business. I can't even think about like when that, gosh, when Netflix went or you could just stream stuff instead mm -hmm. of waiting. It seems like it's always been that way, but it hasn't. It That's hasn't. innovation for you, man. They innovated. Yeah. You could get two, you could get two DVDs and you get this and then, yeah. And then, yeah. So it, it's crazy to see. And, and it's, what's really crazy to see is where we're going to in the next five years with Tesla having autonomous semis and things like that. Cause then for people, and I just read that as well, that they said by, I think it's 2024, they expect 3 million truck drivers to be out of business. Be, yeah. And so now that's got, for me, if I'm a truck driver, that's how I make my living. And especially if I'm not 65 to 70 years old and I want to keep doing this for the next 10 to 15 years. Now I think that I'm saving all of my money so I can start investing into one of these. So then it doesn't take me out because yeah. now it's just going to be about who owns the trucks. People mm -hmm. start to get in the space with Tesla and, and how do you own the trucks? And then most likely then it's less liability. So you can cut costs down. So then you could go undercut the market in terms of going to whatever big box store and saying, we could ship your stuff. It's going to be really crazy to see, but I think that the e-commerce world, at least for the next 25 to 30 years, it's not going anywhere. So you better figure out a way to get with it or otherwise there's no ownership. So you'll get rolled over. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You don't want to get, you as we've seen, you will get rolled. You will like, get rolled. And no matter how big you are, you can get rolled. You can get rolled on. Oh, yeah. And so the, the last question I have, and this is just out of my own curiosity, is most of your income, you don't have to say the number, but most of your income comes from the MyFab Finance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, everything in have... Club Lufa right now, we reinvest back in the Club Lufa. Got it. Now, do you sell courses? Do you have a membership or what does that, or is it surely just advertising by the amount of visitors that you have come to your site? For somebody that's looking maybe to start a blog right now, I'll ask it in the simplest form. Is one, is it still lucrative to start a blog right now? And two, mm -hmm. if I say, okay, I have something I want to talk about, but how do I even make money from my blog? Yeah. It's lucrative to start a brand. I don't know about a blog. Most of my fat finances revenue, and I, I was very intentional when I set this up. I said, I want to break, create a business where I'm taking bit money from the large companies so that I am able to offer my courses at a discounted rate. But I will always offer my courses at a specific rate because I need people to buy into themselves. I need people to buy into them, their success. Like you, don't, you will free yourself to death. But when you pay for something, you value it a little more. Mm -hmm. So that I always knew I wanted to charge, but I didn't want to hit people over the head or be charging like $99 for a course they couldn't afford. So most of my fat finances revenue comes from our brand partnerships. And right now, like we have a, we, we, we're, our, we're anting up on brand partnerships. Like right now we have a hundred thousand dollar deal on the table and so forth with a brand. But usually they're, usually our brand deals are around like, around like 25 to $60,000 when, when we work with a brand. And for um, how so, long are you working with them? 
Sometimes, sometimes it does include exclusivity. The one that we're looking at 100K, that's six months exclusivity. Sometimes we're looking at three months, sometimes just a one-time partnership. But that exclusivity just means we can't work with anyone else in their space. It doesn't mean we're still doing the work. And so usually it might be, they might ask for like two, blog, two Instagram posts, the Instagram story, a blog post for $30,000. And they'll just say, please don't work with anybody else in our space. Is um, that but- a month, a week? No, that's just for that one-time project, for that project. That's a statement of work for that one-time project. Wow. So then once, once we've done that project, then we'll just, we'll just move on. Or sometimes we'll come back. I have a project that I did last year with a company, and they came back this year and we're working on another project. I had a project that I worked on in July with a company, and they came back and working on another one for, for this month, September. So sometimes, depending on the nature of the work, and like they'll, they'll come back. But yeah, we... And then speaking engagements is also a large revenue stream, but I decided I wanted to scale back on that because I didn't mind traveling and everything while I was pregnant and up before I had Karis. But then when I had him, I didn't want to leave him. Um, so I didn't want to be traveling. Like I remember the month, the year I was pregnant with Karis, I traveled in July. I was home in LA, maybe eight days out the entire month. I was on the road the rest of those days. And I didn't want like that as care when I had Karis as an we can't do that anymore. So speaking engagements is off the table. Blogging, it's, it's, if you have an established blog, it's easier to make money, but now they're really paying for like your social media presence. They're paying for your TikTok. They're paying, paying for access to your, your TikTok, your reel, your YouTube and so forth, your newsletter um, and so forth. So you can build a strong educational based business without having a blog now. It, I have so many deals that don't include a blog post in it anymore. Before that was a standard. And so, yeah, a lot of money comes with brand partnerships. We just finished one with Grubhub. And there's a variety of ways you can spin your content. And that also is important to understand is you've got to be creative as an entrepreneur. What angle can I address this with my audience that you might not have thought about? So like we just work with Cricket Wireless. We just work with Grubhub. We just work with, I did something with Bank of America, did something with an infant formula company. So they're just, and they don't, those all don't have exclusivity. With, with one another. Like I can work with each of them because they're not in each other's industries. And so that's how we make money. And then the book, the money manual still makes money. The money manual still is performing exceptionally well on Amazon. Honestly, I think that it's three, almost three years old now. I think that it, in its third year is performing better than it was in the second year. Wow. And that's beautiful to see. And then we do have courses and we do have the Blue Ribbon Club. I'm not aggressively, I don't aggressively push the Blue Ribbon Club because there's some things that it, it, it is functional and it does what it's supposed to do and so forth. But there's some, still some tweaks I want to make, but it still is a great course and we it's $27 a month. So we do have the Blue Ribbon Club that come people enter through our, our funnel. Sure. So it's, it's a combination of things. It's a combination, but I think that for anybody who's looking to start, think about creative ways that you can work with brands where brands are putting their money at and in different ways that you can bring in money, monetizing your skills, whether that is writing, whether that is creating a course or something of that nature, writing a book or something of that, or a digital product or something like that, that you can sell and continuing to build your audience because it's not build it and they will come anymore. People have too many options. So you got to figure out how to make people buy from you. 
Got it. There's so much in there. And the first thing that I'm wondering, because I know someone else that's listening or watching this is wondering, is how do you even start to create brand partnerships? Because a lot of people, they say, oh, man, I have a little bit of an audience, but I haven't started to go into the B2B world and I've never created a brand partnership, especially me thinking of somebody that's like a Grubhub or that's somebody that's Cricket Wireless. These are national companies. Does that look like in the beginning when you were first starting out, did that look like you had to reach out to these people? Or did that look like it was one of your friends, like that was your friend tours gave you the introduction. So it was relationship based. What did that look like? So here's the thing about brand partnerships, understanding where, who, with a brand, a lot of times they don't do their own work in-house. They don't do their own marketing and PR work in-house. So a lot of times what you're going to find is you can reach out to a brand and they've hired a PR agency or some type of agency to represent their interests. So you want to find out if there's a brand that you're interested in working with, you want to find out who their agency is that they're working with. And Sometimes like if it's a large enough company like a state farm, they might have like three or four different agencies they work with and still do some stuff in-house. And so you want to do your research. One of the easiest ways to do that is look at press releases, look at recent press releases of the company and who issued it, because who issued it likely is who's doing their PR across the board and their influencer relations. And then one of, I will highly recommend taking Maddie James get paid course at, like on people who want to establish brand partnerships. I, I purchased it myself because I'm pivoting into doing brand partnerships in my personal space. And with my fat finance, brands started coming to us. But now I'm in a position where, no, I want to pitch brands. I want to reach out to brands and so forth. So I'm taking Maddie Jane's course just to learn like different ways to reach out to brands. Because with my fat finance, just things like you make enough noise. Like I always said, I want to be undeniable. With my fat finance, I wanted to build something that was undeniable. Like you had, you you would feel crazy if you didn't work with us because we're that connected to our audience and we just do this. And I was able to build that with my fat finance, but now here I am like restarting with my personal brand and everything. And I'm like, okay, but how do I not have to wait until I have 60 K? How do I start making this money at 30 K? Because people are making this money at like 20 and 10 K. So how do I do that? So I'm learning more and working with a coach in that space, but look to see who the agency is. Slide in the DMs, ask them, I'm interested in collaborating with you uh, and collaborating with your brand. Who should I reach out to? What's the appropriate email to reach out to? And just a word of advice before that, make sure your stuff is tight. Make sure that when people go to your bio, like it, it makes sense to them why they would work with you. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's per, like, because brands do, brands are always thinking about liability. So if they go to your bio and it seems like you just don't want to come off as liable, like maybe someone posts a lot of pictures about like conspiracy theories and police brutality and like not saying that you shouldn't. I'm always saying be authentic to yourself, but sometimes you can mess your money up doing that too. So you got to put yourself in the position of a brand as if I was a brand, would I give them money and would they not be a liability to me? So look at your platforms and look at it that way. And then make sure you have your email. If you feel like I am that, like I'm... Oprah, find me. I'm ready. Come work with me. Then make sure you have your email in your bio so they can easily reach out to you. They don't got to do research or go to your website or anything. They can literally scroll on Instagram. I'm copy paste. Let me reach out to them right now. So make it easy for them to connect with you. Don't put them through the the hoops. So I I could talk on and on and on about that. But yeah, no, I'm loving it. I'm sure somebody else is too. They, I got to get with her. She's got (laughs) all of the nuggets. But Maddie, Maddie is like, Maddie does this. Like she, I've been looking, just following her on Instagram is valuable. I've been looking at her Instagram content like, oh, this is good. Like I've been doing this for five years and I learned something just now. This is good. 
So I definitely, anyone who wants to get money from brands, follow her because she definitely will teach you how to get money from brands. Got it. Yeah, we'll definitely take a look at it. But this has been such a phenomenal conversation. And I want to be the first one to kick off the thank you train. You've dropped so much nuggets and wisdom. The last thing I want to ask you is there's somebody out there that is very excited. They're very inspired. They love the journey that you've blazed and they want to blaze a similar journey to something that you've already done. But they have that little voice in their head. And that little voice says that they're not smart enough they're not strong enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. Hard to believe after all of the resources and wisdom you've just given, but maybe they still do have that thought. What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? That I had that voice too when I got started. And I don't, a lot of people have that voice when they get started. So you're not alone in that space. You're not an anomaly. People just do it anyway. And that's the thing is just, like, just try just, mm. just, just try. I know that voice is scary and that voice is loud and everything, but once you start trying, that voice gets quiet and the voice might pop back up, but keep trying and, and just, just get started and start building momentum because, and, and because you're not the first person who's had that voice. We all have it and we just work through, work with it and work through it. And that's what makes the difference it from, I think, someone who ends up being successful and someone who just sits on their dream is the person who's successful decided to work with, work through it and work with it instead of allowing it to work against them. Mm, There you have it. For anybody who wants to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Tanya.Rapley. And actually when you go that Tanya, T-O-N-Y-A, not A, T-O-N-Y-A dot Rapley. And then there I have my Fat Finance and Club Loop in my bio because I make it easy for you to find me. Yes, I love it. I love it. We'll definitely put all of those links in the show notes. But again, I just want to say thank you for coming on here. Remember Dream Nation and the dream we trust. But just as she said, you have to just do it. Just try anyway, because otherwise that dream will only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.